If you're listening to this, then you likely already know that being an independent musician can be a lonely road. And maybe your friends and your family just don't fully understand why you do what you do or why you invest so much time, energy, and, and money towards achieving your music goals. And especially early on, it can be hard to find people who really understand what you're trying to accomplish and how to make it happen. Uh, so that's where Modern Musician comes in. My name is Michael Walker, and you know I can understand and relate to that feeling. I've been there myself, and so has our team of independent artists. And the truth is that basically everything good in my life has been the result of music. It's the reason I met my wife. It's why I have my three kids. It's how I met my best friends. And now with Modern Musician, we've seen so many talented artists who started out with a dream, with a passion, but without really a fan base without a business and be able to take that and turn it into a sustainable full-time career and be able to impact hundreds of thousands, even millions of fans with their music. And we've had thousands of messages from artists who told us that we've helped change their lives forever. And it just gets even more exciting and fulfilling when you're surrounded by a community of other people who get it and who share their success and their knowledge with each other openly. And so if you are feeling called to make your music a full-time career and to be able to reach more people with your music, then I want to invite you to join our community so that we can support your growth and help lift you up as you pursue your musical dreams. You'll be able to interact in a community with other high-level artists, coaches, and industry professionals, as well as be able to participate in our daily live podcasts, meet these amazing guests, and get access to completely free training. If you'd like to join our family of artists who truly care about your success, then click on the link in the show notes and sign up now. You have to understand who owns the song. Like sometimes mm -hmm. I'll get pitched a song and they'll tell me that they control 100% of the song, which means they control 100% of the publishing and the recording, the master. And then, you know, down the line, I'll find out, oh, this other co-writer owns 10% of the publishing. That's horrible. Mm -hmm. Like that is probably the mm -hmm. worst mistake you can make in this industry mm -hmm. is not having clear ownership. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm going to share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're going to show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, I'm excited to be here today with Ashley Neumeister. So Ashley has played a key role in all aspects of music production, clearance, music curation for numerous series and films, including shows for CBS, Netflix, Paramount+, Plus, Disney+, Plus, and, and many more. She was actually nominated for Guild of Music Supervisors Award for Best Music Supervision in a Television Drama for working on season one and two of American Soul. And so she knows a thing or two about sync licensing and how to have success in that world. And so she's shared you know, some of her insights and, and knowledge through a platform called Sync Secrets, uh, which helps musicians get their songs synced in TV and film. And I know that there's a lot of folks who are here who are very interested in the world of sync licensing. And... It's great to have you on the podcast today to be able to connect and, and share some of the, the nuggets and wisdom with, with our folks here. So thank you for being a part of it. Yeah, my pleasure. I love sharing and teaching. <laughs> awesome. So to kick things off, yeah, I would love to hear from you, maybe just a quick introduction. If someone's here right now and they haven't met you before, maybe you can share a little bit about how you mm -hmm. got started and you had the opportunity to get your music placed on you know, CBS, Netflix, Paramount Plus, Disney Plus, and, and whatnot. Sure. 
try to keep it brief. I have a background in music production and I play some instruments and I've always loved music and loved soundtracks growing up. And so through my journey of going to Columbia College in Chicago, discovered the job of a music supervisor and moved out to LA to pursue that in 2006 and started out, you know, on the pitching side of like starting a catalog and pitching artists songs to try to get them placements in TV and film. And then over the years, eventually moved more into being the music supervisor myself. And I've worked on, you know, many TV shows and films by this point. And also managed, a, like I said, a library and a catalog. So I have experience from like the sales and pitching side of like what kind of songs get a lot of placements. And then also on the like selection side of being the music supervisor. So mm. both sides of that part of that business. Mm. Awesome. I, I love the fact that you, you have you know, experience in different roles and that you can kind of speak to the perspective as a music supervisor who's probably received a lot of submissions and you know kind of what to look for. I think that provides some really helpful perspective for for all of us in terms of what a music supervisor is actually looking for and how to have success in that world. So I'd love mm -hmm. to hear from your perspective. You're having you both done this yourself and having worked with a community of artists helping them to do this. What do you see as some of the biggest challenges or mistakes that artists commonly make as it relates to sync licensing? I would say, you know, starting out, it is a very competitive industry right now. Like every artist obviously would love to have their song placed in a television show or film. And so there is a lot of competition. And so it's important to set yourself apart. And some of those, you know, mistakes that you're asking would be, you know, just simply not understanding how the business works. And mm -hmm. what does that mean to get a placement? Like what kind of paperwork is that? Or what kind of fees could I expect for that? You know, that just an overall understanding of kind of that process is, is really important. And then, you know, high quality music, obviously. So really only sending your best, putting your best foot forward and making sure that you're, you know, going through the process of fully mixing and mastering your songs before you even pitch them and having, you know, an instrumental version, having your acapella, acapella is not as important, but the instrumental is essential. And, you know, having clean lyrics, for example, if you have, you know, profanity in your songs, having an alternate version with clean words instead of just dropouts or beeps, you know, because you can't really use those in TV shows. Dropouts, might, maybe if it's just one word, but if it's, you know, often through the song, you want to actually have a separate word that replaces that. And then also the biggest thing, I think, honestly, is just being easy to work with and, you know, being, getting back to people quickly. Like our careers are defined by deadlines, like, because a lot of the times we're, we're needing music for set, you know, and so you can't miss a deadline. So mm -hmm. If you like, for example, when I'm starting out giving like an, an artist a shot that I haven't worked with before and they miss a deadline, I'm probably not going to give them another shot. You know, like it's mm -hmm. such a big deal. And mm -hmm. I have to only work with people that I know that I can rely on. And when they say they're going to do something, they actually do it. So that's the biggest mm -hmm. thing that I see with artists that are coming from like working in the record industry to then wanting to work in TV and film as they don't understand the importance of those deadlines. And mm -hmm. often I, even if they're really talented, 
maybe even like a major label artist, you know, that's got some notoriety, I'm not going to work with them if they can't make deadlines, you know? So mm-hmm. that's a really important thing to remember when you're getting into this. Awesome. Yeah. So it sounds like, especially in the sync licensing world, you know, deadlines are extremely important because if you miss a deadline, it, you know, it doesn't reflect well on you. It runs mm-hmm. the whole, you know, production of the show runs behind and they have deadlines to meet as well. Uh, so one of the things that you mentioned that I think is a really uh, important point that sometimes is tricky nowadays, especially to dial in is around like the music production and the quality, you know, the quality of, of the production especially nowadays, it's so easy to record yourself, like in a home studio. And, you know, I I think we have a lot of artists who they are just getting started, maybe, or or they've been working hard to like produce themselves. And the idea of finding a producer or finding, you know, the right team to work with is something they haven't quite gotten the hang of yet. And maybe they're kind of looking for how do I improve improve the quality of my music when I feel like I'm on a budget and I don't know how to get high quality productions without you know, spending an arm and a leg for it? I'm curious what your recommendations would be. I mean, especially in the music licensing world where you've like really mm-hmm. just the baseline, like it needs to be like extremely high production quality. What would your recommendations be for artists to think about in terms of you know, investing in themselves in production and how do they find the right producer that is the right quality level to be successful in sync? It's a great question. I would say become a part of a community of musicians that have a common goal and vision. So like Modern Musician or my platform Sync Secrets, there's musicians that want to collaborate and work together and not charge each other money. You know, it's like, we'll share the writers and the publishing on this song and we'll just come together. You have your skills of, you know, producing and mixing and I can do you know the top line or the track or whatever you know you you come with your skills and then reach out to everyone that's in that program and see if they want to collaborate and listen to their music check out their quality and say like did you mix this or who mixed this or you know and, and just asking and utilizing your relationships within those communities and you, I'm sure they would be surprised by how easy they can find people. I mean, that's one of the things that's been so amazing about Sync Secrets. I have like a monthly gathering as part of it and they're from all over the world and they're collaborating every week or every month we do listening sessions and I can just see the quality going up because they'll, they'll hear someone playing a song and they're like, whoa, that was really good. And they'll reach out and be like, okay, who mixed that? And, and they're willing to not charge each other and just share in any profits that are made from those placements. So I would say to start there and then, and there's so many classes you can take online to like, you know, up your production skills and mixing skills a little bit, you know, even on like Udemy and a bunch of these other like online courses or even on YouTube, it's just about taking the time to, to learn those you know, trip tips and tricks to up level the quality a bit, but anyone can do it on their own. You just got to take the time. Mm, awesome. Yeah. And I know we've had quite a few folks on this podcast who are in the world of music production and teaching artists how to be successful with it. So, and I can definitely mm-hmm. give a shout to Hyperbits, you know, with their, their masterclass and Ill Gates, you know, for electronic mm-hmm. music are fantastic. But that, that's awesome. I, I love that recommendation to like really lean on the people in your community and other artists and to you know, figure out a way to do a trade of service 
especially where you come together and you kind of share and in, in the the profits awesome mm-hmm. so other things in terms of success with sync and in the world of sync licensing you know, maybe one common question or challenge would be how do I build the relationships or find the people that, that are looking for the music? How do I cut through the noise? Like you mentioned, it is so competitive right now. How do you actually, let me put it this way. You know, you from the perspective of a music supervisor and having you know, been on the other side and helping artists with it, what distinguishes like the best, the best relationships that you've built, the best submissions, the best pitches that you've received from the absolute worst ones? Oh, everyone asked that way. That's a really good question. Okay. So I would say the best, it's going to tie in some of the things I've already said, but would be high quality and on time or early. And when I ask for something, don't send me something totally different. Like if you don't have the thing that I need, just say that, just say, I'm sorry, I don't have this. I'll, you know, not get you next time. Or I know this artist that could create something in a short amount of time if you have more time or something like that. Just be honest. That's really important. And and then also a little thing to know is that, which makes this kind of challenging for a lot of artists and catalogs is that every music supervisor is different as far as like how much we want to be checked in with. And, you know, like I have, I'm totally fine with artists that I have relationships with just checking in with me like every two weeks you know being like hey were you looking for anything and you know not necessarily always expecting a response but it actually does keep those people like top of my mind because I know that they're consistently checking in with me so that's something that's really important other music supervisors might get really annoyed by that so it's important to ask each supervisor separately like how often can I check in with you or is it okay if I send you my new song releases you know, just ask before you just send out these like blanket cold emails or, you know, an email to everyone. It's more personalized is definitely better. And then so on the other side of that, like worst things is going to just be like horribly mixed songs. You know, like, like I said, sending me something I didn't even ask for. And, you know, part of being in this industry is that you're going to have to really be able to identify clearly like what moods your music evokes and because we're often sending information in what we need you know like a happy song or reflective or this is what's happening in the scene and we need to portray that this character is having a really hard time with this decision so they're really like trying to think about something and be contemplative you know like so you have to be able to identify what you're wanting the listener to feel from your songs and Mm. not every artist does that very well and so they'll send me music that I'm like, this is not happy and uplifting at all. Like, why would they send that? Email? So <laughs> being able to identify that is a, a skill that's needed for sure. Yeah. Hmm. That's, uh, that's super interesting. Yeah, it seems like what one of the biggest things you're pointing to is just like the relevancy and the awareness, like the self-awareness to know your music mm-hmm. and where it would provide the most value and specifically what people are looking for, not sending them like, yeah. Yeah, something totally un- unrelated. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, one other thing I thought of is in on the mistake side is 
you have to understand who owns the song. So you like sometimes I'll get pitched a song and they'll tell me that they control 100% of the song, which means they control 100% of the publishing and the recording, the master. And then, you know, down the line, I'll find out, oh, this other co-writer owns 10% of the publishing. That's horrible. Mm. Like that is probably the Mm. worst mistake you can make in this industry Mm. is not having clear ownership ahead before you pitch anything, which means you have all your paperwork signed, you know exactly how the money is going to be split up. You even have your work for hire agreements. You hired some musician to play on it for a fee. Like all of those are, that's so, so important. And I definitely have had a couple of situations where independent artists have backtracked and been like, oh, I'm sorry, this person needs to sign off because they own this little percentage and I will never work with them again because I can't trust them anymore. And that is probably the worst thing that could happen to a music supervisor is that you put a song into a project that's not fully cleared. Like I could get fired for that. So that's really, really big, big deal that, you know, a lot of independent artists don't think about because you're like, oh, we're just working on this song together. You know, it's we'll see what happens. But you've got to really treat it like a business when you get into the sync licensing. Awesome. I'm so grateful for the ability to have conversations like this and to learn from mistakes that, that others have made because I mean, that's the kind of thing that I think a lot, a lot of folks, you know, you, you have to learn one way or the other and you either learn by like making the mistake yourself or by talking to someone or hearing a conversation like this with someone like you that's had some of those experiences or someone, you know, slipped up and made, made that mistake and so we can learn from it and not make that mistake. Mm-hmm. So maybe to, as a next step, like to help not make that mistake, how would you suggest that people who are doing collaborations or co-writing yeah i think for some people it, it might be a little bit of a tricky subject they feel a little awkward bringing it up let's say that they're for like co-writing you know songs and they're not sure what's the right the best process to be able to really clear ownership with those people that they wrote with do you have any recommendations in terms of like best practices or habits or ways to bring this up and so that they don't run into that mistake later down the line Yeah, I mean, it's something that is useful to just bring up from the beginning, right? You know, so when you're first establishing a collaboration relationship, you know, just treating it like it is a business and that you're taking it seriously, you know, like you have a idea that you might want to be trying to place these songs in a television show or on an album or whatever it is, you know, have some sort of idea of the intention of where these songs could end up. and And I always encourage artists to just have their standard contracts that they always use, whether it's just like a simple split sheet, you know, which is how you're going to split up the writers and the publishing, and then who's going to own the recording once you get to that point. And this is all something I dive a lot deeper into in in my course, and I give everyone the contracts to use, the templates, just to make it easy, because this is something that I've come up across like so much over the last 15 years of working with artists. I'm like, okay, I need to make this easy. (laughs) So I just created the templates for it for them. And, and then at that point you can just get it out of the way, you know, cause there's never having any weirdness after that. There is, you know, one thing that can change that is if you're not going to be splitting everything evenly, you know, most artists, do that you know if there's three people in the room they each get a third of the ownership but if you're you know wanting to wait to see how much each person is going to contribute to the song and then maybe it won't be equal percentages 
that's fine too. But just say that up front, you know, just say like, we'll see how this goes. And then, you know, at the end of the song production, the demo or whatever phase you want to do with it, let's talk about the percentages so we can just get that out of the way, mm-hmm. you know, but for the most part, I think I've noticed that artists just split everything evenly, you mm-hmm. know, Got it. and uh- yeah. At one point, I thought that I heard something like in Nashville, like there's a few different lines of thinking around it. And like in Nashville, it's usually like evenly split. And maybe in LA, it's more of like a thing where sometimes they'll be more selective with like who gets what. I love the idea, just like the simplicity of just saying, hey, like, you know, if you're in the room, like you're a part of it, like it's hard to quantify like how much of an impact you made if you just came up with, if you just sat in the room and then like you had that one idea that like literally changed everything. Maybe that was the thing that that made it. But it sounds like the the recommendation is just to you'll be upfront and clear from the start, whichever one that, that you choose. So you're on the same page mm-hmm. uh, and you have a bunch of templates and resources to help make that decision easy, which is awesome. Are there any like software tools that you'd recommend for managing a portfolio of like your own songs or co-writes and stuff like that? I feel like I've heard of a few that are pretty useful. Uh, the one that most people are using within the sync industry is called Disco. And yeah, it's a place where you can store all your songs and do all the metadata, which is also very important. It's making sure you have proper metadata on all your songs before you send them anywhere. Mm. And you can put the writer splits in there, publishing splits, everything. Yeah, it's make playlists. That's how most people will send me their music is just a link to like a disco playlist. And then it it has everything in there. So I do recommend that one because it's become pretty much the standard Mm. that we all really like. There are other things. I think there might even be like song splits, I think is the name of like one online thing you can use to catalog all of your writer percentages and publishing and all of that and have it in one spot. Um, yeah, those are the, Disco is definitely the main one though. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I've, I've heard that one before too. I'm not uh, personally super deep into the sync licensing world, but I've heard that come up a few times. It looks like a really cool software. So I think I have one more question I'd like to ask before we open up the floor to the live uh, audience. And maybe you you guys can ask any questions here that you'd like to fill in the blanks. But yeah, I'm curious to hear your perspective on right now. It seems like we're entering a new era of creativity as it relates to AI and generative music. You know, there's one line of thinking that says that these are tools and just like any other technology, it's going to amplify our creativity and we'll be able to, you know, like it's not going to replace, you know, our you know, music or creativity. It'll just kind of augment it. And and then there's also, I think, a fear for a lot of musicians of, you know, what happens? Am I going to be replaced? Like is AI, especially as it relates to you know, uh, certain industries, like a sync licensing where a supervisor like yourself might be able to type in or just copy and paste their brief and it just like auto generates the thing that they're looking for and they can kind of tweak it automatically right away. I'm curious to hear your perspective on uh, AI generation as it relates to music licensing and how someone who's listening to this right now, who's like an artist can align with the the tidal wave or align with the, the upcoming wave of, of that so that they're not, they don't drown in it, but instead they're able to surf on it and and get the most value from it. I mean, I think you kind of touched on it just even in the question, you know, it's like, it is uh, a tool at this point, 
you know, and it can support artists in maybe creating more content faster, you know, even just with like lyric ideas and stuff like that. One area with it specifically in the sync industry that I, it hasn't, as far as I know, hasn't happened yet, but that I could see happening is, you know, AI generated music for like instrumental background cues, you know, like just simple, like tension cues or something like that. Like a lot of the stuff that's used in like reality TV, for example, that stuff is still created by humans, but I could see that that could move into being created by AI pretty easily because it doesn't have to be anything to be easy to replicate through AI because it's just one emotion, like through the whole thing. And so I do wonder if that stuff is going to be replaced completely by AI, you know, through like production music libraries. I, I've heard talks of that, you know, happening. But I don't know, at least in my generation, we're still going to be pushing for hiring humans, you know, mm. and and it's going to get back to needing to just really have quality, high quality music that mm. is, you know, surpasses anything that an AI could create. So I would say, you know, for now, like just focus on it being a tool if you even want to use it, you know, to help you create quicker and maybe build your catalog faster. You know, that's a, a bonus of it for sure. But I mean, it's hard to say what's going to happen in like 10 years from now. You know, I mean, honestly, like my job could be replaced by AI you know, at some point. So it's, it's, it is the wild west, you know, with that whole, that whole part of the industry, we'll just have to see what happens. And those of us that are in decision-making places can still advocate for you know, humans being involved in every step of the process. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, what comes to mind is I, I wasn't super involved in the music industry like before and after this happened, but I've heard enough people describe the revolution of kind of like uh, in the box digital audio workstations. And when they first started you know, evolving as a, as a tool, there's a lot of fear and skepticism and people who were saying that it was like not real or it's like, you know, it's not valid music. Like it's, it's actually dangerous to you to use. Like it's going to like harm your ears permanently. And then there was also another group of artists that you know, jumped in and kind of learned how to use digital audio workstations and saw it as a tool and allowed them to you know, be more creative and to, you know, they were able to use the tool. So yeah, knock on wood. Hopefully, that's the case with AI as well. Too is that you know it's it is you know, the root of our of our human creativity is the thing that matters, and this is just like a tool that helps us to achieve you know an outcome. But it does seem like it's important to to start getting familiar with it. You know, to start you know, playing with it just because yeah, it it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. It seems like it's only getting better and smarter and mm -hmm. faster in like the last year that it really started to take off. All right. Well, with that, I would love to invite anyone who's here live to raise their hand and come on to the stage if you have any questions you'd like to ask to Ashley. So I see Vaz. He raised his hand. Hey, Vaz. How are you doing today? Hello. Hello, Michael. Hello, Ashley. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on here and sharing this with you and and bringing a and bringing up some of the very, very important issues, not just in sync licensing, but in the paperwork necessary for being able to 
adequately have a professional career with other professionals and to keep it to keep it out of the courtrooms, so to speak. So I have three questions. And actually, if you can, can she see the chat? She can pick any one of them she'd like to answer. Or you can, Michael. I don't yeah. want to take up a lot of your time. So sure. thank you. Yep. It was an Thanks. honor. It is Thanks, an boss. honor. Appreciate yeah. you. So I'll, I'll choose one of these questions. We don't have time to answer all, all three of them for you, boss. But uh, I'll, I'll start here. So he asked, one of the questions was, are work for hire musicians signed agreements a requirement? And yeah, what would your recommendations be in terms of, you know, if there's a, someone that you're hiring to perform on the music, what kind of paperwork would you recommend for that? I would say they are a requirement because you might as well just do everything to the T and one, and leave no room for error. So it's a simple one sheet that I have. And like I mentioned, that I usually give people that I consult during my training. And it's basically, you just say what they did, what they did, like what instrument they played on what song or songs and how much you paid them or whatever it was to exchange and that they are not going to own anything else beyond that. It's a one-time exchange. And I, you might as well do that for everyone that you hire to play drums or whatever it is on your, on your music. So yeah, I would encourage that. Awesome. Smart. And if you do it right, you can also maybe like sneak in a little clause in there about uh, owning their soul too. (laughs) (laughs) If if you just like put it in some really small print, then sometimes you can squeeze that one out. Uh, So if anyone else has any questions, feel free to raise your hand and come on here live. I'd love to hear your voice and you can have an opportunity here to connect with Ashley. In the meantime, though, I'm going to go through these other questions that Voss asked as well. Okay. So he asked, in terms of proving ownership, are copies of paid and cash checks for services satisfactory to establish ownership? Or is there anything else we need to do to confirm that we do have ownership? Ownership of the song, I assume he's talking about. Well, I actually, looking at this, I wonder if he meant, yeah, ownership of the song. And it looks like it might have been related to the the question that we just answered around, like, work for hire Mm. musicians. Like, maybe he was asking, like, is it okay if if I have, like, the receipts and the paid checks? Yeah. I mean, that's helpful, but you still don't have anything that says what they played and on what they played. So, I mean, this is all up to your own discretion, too. Like, you don't necessarily want to have to go backtrack, you know, if you have all this music you've already recorded. I won't necessarily say to hold that up from pitching it unless someone that you may have hired in the past is really difficult and you they, you have a, a concern that they could come up, like they see that it got a place on a TV show and say something like, hey, I owned a piece of that song or, you know, that's what you're protecting yourself against. So it's up to you to decide if you want to go back and get proper paperwork for all these people or not, you know, but at least moving forward, just use a one sheet, simple work for hire agreement. So you don't even have to worry about it. Hmm. Smart. Yeah. It just seemed like the easy thing to do there too, would just be when you're about to send their payment require that they you know, sign off to get the payment. Yeah, and that exactly. way there's like a, there's something that, you know, rather than you come in afterwards where it's like, they've already gotten the payment, there's not really a value in, in it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Awesome. I see also David Patrick Wilson raised his hand. So let's bring on David. Hey, David, how are you doing today? Michael, I'm going to try this again. Can you hear me? <laughs> we can hear you loud and clear. Oh, my God. I've been trying to get on for three days in a row. It's unbelievable. Anyway, I'm having so many technical difficulties here. 
You know, I'm I'm really concerned about AI, and I don't even know if anybody knows how AI sampling is done. How do they come up with when you give them a directive uh, about how, what you'd like to hear or something that you'd like to have created? Where are they going for their source to get that? Are they are they sampling from other artists? Are they taking bits and pieces and reassembling them in some way that they resemble? what it is that, that, that you're, you're talking about, but based on the work of others. I mean, where, where does that base data come from that they're using to create the, 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 that, uh, that entity? Hmm. Thanks, David. All right. Do you Can know you the answer break to that? Down, uh, mach machine learning for us and the algorithm. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the makers of it don't fully understand it. Actually, it's, it's kind of, kind of another reason to be a little bit concerned about it. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. If, My um, understanding is yes, it does pull from anything ever released online. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if the minute you put out a song, it is now being fed into a lot of these apps mm -hmm. and things that are being created. I know there's certain companies, I went to a conference a couple of months ago where they're trying to create a AI thing that you can opt into, meaning that you can choose whether or not your art is then pulled from, because that's a problem right now is that there is no permission happening anywhere and you have no idea where it's pulling it from. So yeah, my understanding is that it, it once your art is out in the world, it is then being able to being kind of stole from in a way <laughs> yeah it's just, it's super interesting it's one of my favorite topics to to think about and to just see like what's happening is with with ai and and certainly like ownership and and what like yeah who owns what especially when there's like training data that it's that's feeding the ai if i remember correctly like there was a pretty big landmark case that happened in the last few months related to copyright and AI generated artwork. And the judges sided with OpenAI saying that, I think it was maybe like Sarah Silverman had led like the charge and was sort of very like upset that her material is being used to like train these AIs. And what the verdict was, was that regardless of whether the AI was trained up on this other data, as long as it was generating unique content that wasn't directly plagiarized, then it wasn't it wasn't like a copyright infringement. And you know, it's it's interesting because I, I think there is a case to be made that like as humans, that we, you know, the way that we create music and artwork is totally influenced by, you know, our favorite artists and what came before us. And it's just very difficult for us to quantify that and say like, you know, I am 7.2% Coldplay, you know, because I loved them <laughs> when I was growing up and, and you know, this song was influenced by that. And, and certainly, you know, in the sync licensing world, there's like briefs that say we want a song that sounds like, you know, this. And so, you know, that's coming from somewhere, right? Like we have to reference that. We have to create something that sort of, you know, that you know, steals is kind of a, has some strings attached to it, but like it certainly like references and speaks to its train. So it's a, it's a tricky one. It does seem like with AI, there's if there was a way to basically document the training data and the training source, and if there was a way to like say, okay, like when we created the song, it actually did get influenced like 2.1% from Coldplay, like with this song. It would be great if we were able to properly compensate the owners of it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks, David. That's <laughs> you don't get me started about talking to AI or else I'm going to hijack <laughs> this conversation. All right. So I see Steve, Steve Cuban raised his hand. Steve is one of my favorite, favorite people. So let's bring you on live. Hey, Steve, how are you doing today? I'm good. Ashley, thank you so much. The information you're sending is invaluable. I just wanted to make a, a comment. Maybe you can update it. But uh, I've had a couple opportunities that I missed because I didn't have correct means for for music people, and I've lost the opportunity for my music to have been on. In one case, just recently, I, I missed out the opportunity for my song to be sung by millions or to be seen by millions of people because they were doing a Halloween show, and one of their clients, talking about the deep and demonic things said, yeah, there's a song that I like to sing. And then they started singing my song. So this was being interviewed. And then the the show producer contacted me, sent me an email and said, we really want to include this song in this show. It's going to be seen by millions of people. But I didn't get the email because it went to a secondary email. And I missed it. And by the time I call, I saw it and contacted her back, she said, I'm sorry, we already aired the show. It was for mm-hmm. Halloween and we only had a couple of days notice. So there were other things I've missed, too, because I didn't make it easy for people to reach the real Steve. You know, I'm the guy that owns the song. Mm-hmm. Help me. How, how can I fix that? Mm, that's a really good point, <laughs> actually. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people go to use Instagram now. So just making sure that you have, you know, an Instagram page or, you know, that that has your contact information that has a direct email and phone number would be great too, or some sort of a website or, you know, something online that people can easily find the main place that music supervisors or people that handle the actual clearance go is going to be ASCAP, BMI or CSAC. So making sure that your songs are properly registered and that your current contact information is linked with how you're registering that song because that's where we start so that would be the best place to make sure that you always have updated and that they have your current contact information because that's always where I start and then I'll go other places like Instagram and things like that but yeah there's been many many times when I've wanted to use songs but I can't reach the artists so that's a big one wow yeah, that's that's I can see that being being something for a lot of a lot of folks that we just might not even think about. But you know, you, people want your songs and they're not able to reach you and connect and, and ask for it. Yikes! Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's go ahead and let's wrap up for today. So, Ashley, thank you so much for taking the time to be here and to share you know, some of the lessons that you've learned, some of the mistakes that, that you've seen that you can help help uh, people avoid here. And for anyone that is interested in diving deeper and learning more about Sync Secrets and the community that you have built. What would be the best place for them to go to dive deeper? They can find me on TikTok. I do a lot of videos on there teaching about this kind of stuff. It's I am Ash New, New N-E-U, so three letters in my last name. And then I also syncsecrets.biz slash training. And that has a discount code for the people that hear this. You'll get $200 off if you do want to do the training. It's a five-week training to really dive deep into learning everything you need to know about placing your music and film and tv amazing 
thank you so much for doing that. And like always, yeah. we'll make sure that we put all the links in the show notes for, for easy access. But cool. uh, yeah, yeah, I think that sync licensing is one of those things that I, I personally have very little uh, experience with, but I know that it's incredibly valuable. And there's a lot of artists in our community who are making you know, a really good income and have a great career that's you know, sustained by sync licensing. So I would definitely recommend checking out what you've built as a resource. And let's go ahead and let's wrap up uh, for today for the actual recording. We'll do a good old fashioned. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then I'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.